I should say to you that uh, we interrupt our regular programming to bring you this announcement. For the last year and a half, uh, I have been preaching expositionally from the Gospel of Luke in a series called Reading the Red. And I will continue that series in about eight or nine weeks. We have agreed as a body, uh, the elders agreed, um, that we would do something different. Now you say, why do we want to do something different? And if it ain't broke, don't fix it. We've been having a good time here. And I, and I have too. I love to preach expositionally. That's the, that's the thing I, I do best. And that's the, you know, I love to go down the thing verse by verse and figure out the Greek and to figure out the historical context and so on and so forth. But I've found that when we get comfortable and when we are doing what we like the best, many times that's not a time of great spiritual growth for us. As a matter of fact, if you will look in your own lives, I suspect that you will see the times of the most extravagant, the most helpful spiritual growth you've ever had in your life have been during times of trouble and great stress. It's been the times when you have not been comfortable. And I think that we can all give serious agreement to the old saying that the church is not only here to comfort the afflicted, but here to afflict the comfortable. Because that's what we need, most of us need. And so just when it's going good, let's interrupt it. Because we need to be jerked around and see something different. Come at from a different angle, lest we get a little bit too comfortable and we're following what we like instead of what the Lord wants. You know, one of the things I love about this church, we love variety in this church. And variety comes at a price. It comes, from a, it comes at a great price of tolerance. But we'll have probably two or three phone calls a week now because word's out. We, we've, we're not in hiding anymore, I guess. And uh, folks wanting to visit from other traditions. And uh, they've heard various things about Northland. It's really kind of comical to listen to it. And the folks who are from a charismatic background say, Well, <clears throat> I heard that uh, you don't uh, speak in tongues in your service there. And we say, yeah, Well, that's true. We don't do that on Sunday mornings. But that we have several... Uh, many, many folks, as a matter of fact, who've been given that gift and, and they just, you know, in their, in their worship time, they kind of exercise that private devotion, devotional language and, and, uh, but if it's very, very important to you that everybody does it, then, then you probably, this is probably not the place for you. Um, and then there are other people who say, I heard some people speaking tongues. And we go, well, you know, um, Sometimes when they're in worship and they, you know, that's just what the Lord has for them that time. Uh, and, uh, and if that makes you terribly uncomfortable, uh, what I want to say is, this is the place to come because you need to get uncomfortable. You need to sit beside somebody who is of a different tradition, of a different worship experience, and be sensitized to those people. For those folks who have been in a very traditional, very straight church, 
Just to hear a, a prayer language of someone is a wonderful, melodic thing. You, it's, it's relaxing if you just <laughs> let yourself relax. For those, <laughs> for those who, who want to raise it, lift their hands, lift holy hands, as it says in Scripture, to the Lord. You know, that's the way they praise and the way they worship, you know. And some people get all frightened, you know. And, and, but you know what? That's good for you. Because you need to be a little uncomfortable and say, well, I wonder what they got that, you know, I haven't. You know, I've never seen that done before. That's interesting. I wonder why they're doing that. And for those folks who are, who are just so, you know, uh, how do I do this? <laughs> you know, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall on this place. So everybody speaking tongues, get the, the gift, you know. Um, you know, you need to sit by someone who has not experienced that because, because you know what? In I've, I've been in charismatic congregations where you, you just get so wrapped up in your own worship experience, you're not sensitive to the person next to you. And you're not, you have no discretion as to what's going on between them and the Lord, you know? And you need to be sensitized to folks of a different worship experience. And so all of that is to say... If you're not terribly comfortable here, you're in the right place. <laughs> this is exactly where you need to be. Because if you want everybody just like you, you can probably find a church like this, but that's, this isn't it. This isn't it. We stay here because we believe that we need to get uncomfortable. We need to get stretched by other folks. And we need to hear someone that has a different theology because, because we need to be able to love people no matter what they believe. And we need to be able to learn from people, and you can't learn from people if they all believe exactly like you do. So, all of that is to say, we interrupt our regular programming to bring you a different experience. And this is going to be it. For the next 50 days, starting Friday, we are going to go on an adventure together. I mean, everyone who wants to, it's, you don't have to. You can come and just listen to the sermons. Um, but my background is, is psychology. I, I uh, um, was schooled in it. My, my doctoral degree is in, is in counseling. Um, I, I taught it. I, that's where I come from. It's from a personal growth aspect. And so many, many of my messages have that slant to it. I mean, that's just who I am. But what I've noticed is that you can preach about personal growth very many times and eventually everybody gets the idea that our, our agenda is to come here and listen and think only about me and not to think about what's happening in the world around us. And so when this 50-day adventure, when we were uh, asked to become a pilot church, most of the nation will go through this at Lent, during Lent, but when we were asked to become a pilot church, I took a look at the subject area and it said, 50 days to bring the hope of Christ to our nation. I thought, boy, that's exactly what we need. Because we need to know in what context our culture is heading. We need to know it because... God has not just called us to grow individually spiritually. God has called us to grow in the context of the society in which we live. And we cannot 
be ostriches and stick our heads in hard. But somebody once said, you know, when an ostrich sticks his head in the sand, it just leaves a real good target. <laughs> and, it, and it reminds me of the church. You know, when the church sticks its head in the sand, they're just inviting someone to give them a kick. So let me go through this scripture with you just real quickly and, and show you what God did in the life of Israel and what I believe he's doing in our life. In the second chapter of Judges, he determined because Israel had not stuck to the plan, very many of them had gone on their own way, he determined that he would not give all of the promised land into their hand. In verse 22, you see why. In order to test Israel by them, by these other cultures, by these other views, by these other values, if you will, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk in it as their fathers did or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain. Now again, we're not talking about overcoming America. We're talking about very many cultures living in the same geographical area. He allowed those other nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. In other words, it was not in the sovereign control of the people of God. Why? We wanted to test them. What were the results of the test? Look in, look in chapter 3 here. Verse 5. And the sons of Israel lived among the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites. <laughs> How, uh, and the Hivites and the, Je- and the Jezebites. And they took, now watch, from the culture. They took their daughters for themselves as wives. And they gave their own daughters to their sons and they served their gods. Now, uh, you see an exchange program going on here. There is enough cultural exchange that they are becoming mixed up theologically. You see what's happening? Okay. With the result, verse 7, they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals. Baals is plural there because there were a lot of fertility gods around that, some, that time. You talk about fun. Talk about you know, serving a fertility god. You can imagine the church services, and they were like that. And so there was a great pull of the culture. What the Bible tells us, is that God has determined that we should live in parallel with society. Not out of society. God doesn't pull us out of society. John John 17 says, Jesus was praying, Lord, I am not asking you to take them out of the world. Not asking that. So all of the Christians who try to withdraw into their own little society, they haven't got God's plan down quite yet. You know, they haven't got quite correct because... Escape is not the idea. Cloistering is not the idea. Exclusivism is not the idea. But neither is it the idea to be converted to the ways of the world. By definition, parallel lines, at least in Euclidean geometry, there's another kind of geometry that's not not like this, but in Euclidean geometry, by definition, parallel lines are lines that go on forever and never meet. 
And so we are called as God's people to live in this world, but never to become a part of the world. Never. To not switch our values, to not switch our God, to not exchange beliefs and to take on the world's beliefs. Now, how well are we doing that? Well, that's why we need to take a look. That's why we need to take a look. Because we have not very well developed the discerning faculties we need to tell Christians apart from the world, or to tell what is of the world and what what is of Christ. We get so used to how the world operates that we begin to take on those same qualities. And the danger is that as we become more and more like the world, we become less and less salt. Salt loses its saltness. And the light is gradually overcome by the darkness, you see. And unless we are eternally vigilant, we become the world. So therefore, every once in a while, we've got to take some time out and say, how we doing? And that's exactly what we're going to do for the next 50 days. And we don't do it just on Sunday morning. We do it with a discipline every day while we're living in the world. Because you know what? This isn't the world. We don't act on Sundays like we act in the world. We're not confronted with the situations on Sundays like we're confronted in the world. So therefore, the exercise has to go on on a daily basis. That's what we're going to do. Now let me tell you the value of this. And let me tell you why the elders decided that this was a good thing for us to do. First of all, not many of us have been really schooled or deliberately trained in discerning the difference between the world and the, and, and the, and the Lord. We learn about the Lord and we learn about the world, but nobody ever says, what's the difference? Um, some, somebody called me up this week and, and they, uh, they, they send their kids to a Christian school, which is great. I mean, it's fine. And uh, they said, we have some problems because the teacher in the Christian school is reading fairy tales every day. And it says in First Timothy that you should not listen to myths of the, the myths of the world. Should we go and confront that teacher or are we overreacting? Real good question. I mean, real good questions. First of all, they were alert and they wanted to follow what the Lord said. But by the same token, they had enough of a check that they realized they needed some counsel. They could be personalizing this to such an extent they needed, they needed, uh, to know if they were overreacting. So, here's what I told them. <laughs> you probably disagree with this, but it's okay. We're different here. Um, I said, no, don't confront the teacher. Let the kids hear the fairy tales. It is part of the culture. It's part of a practically universal experience that all kids have. And the kids need to hear those things so that they cannot believe in those things. So that they can learn the difference between what is fantasy and what is real. So that they can learn the difference between what you listen to for entertainment purposes and what you base your life on. Now, parental involvement is absolutely key here. You realize that, don't you? You can't send your kids anywhere and not get involved. 
I mean, they're just not going to, things aren't going to shake out if you do that. It is absolutely imperative that you train up your children in the way they should go. I mean, the Bible says that, and it's not just teaching, it's training. Training in Scripture means like you, like a uh, conditioned response. I mean, it's almost like training a dog, you know? It's like, this is what you need to do. These are the results you need to go for. So parental involvement is very important, but let me ask you this. If we grow up in such a sheltered environment that we believe everything is from the Lord because that's how our parents raised us. What do we disbelieve? When do we begin to draw the lines for ourselves and how painful does that have to be? Wouldn't it be good to be coached from the very beginning about what is of the world and what is of the Lord? What you can base your life on and what you shouldn't try basing your life on. It is so important. Let me tell you, just a tor- terrible story. It's a true story, though. Horrible to think about. When I was growing up, there was the Catholic and the Protestants. I mean, we grew up in a small town. There was a big division there. I mean, it was a big, big deal whether or not you were Catholic or Protestant. Most of my family was Catholic. Um, and so I went to, I went to Mass a lot and uh, had a lot of, you know, uh, a lot of close relationships that were Catholic. But my, I had this religious grandmother that was Methodist who took me to, to church. So I ended up Protestant. But it was, a, it was a big deal. I mean, you know. And it wasn't a war or anything like that. But I mean, you, you know, you kind of, are they Catholic? You know, one of those. And so the Catholic school went up to middle, this, just the middle high school level. And they didn't have a high school. And so in ninth grade, all the Catholics were pouring into the Protestant schools. Now... Here's where it gets awful. The Protestant guys used to love to hit on the Catholic girls. You know why? Because they had been raised in this shelter. Back in that day, I don't know how Catholic schools are now, but back in that day, there were super nuns. And I mean, they they set the environmental tone. You didn't mess with the nuns, you know. I mean, they had the rulers on the knuckles and everything. And... What would be happening, if you get a devout Catholic family, these girls would be raised up in an atmosphere where they could believe, they, they did believe anything anybody told them. Because that's who they always had around them. They had their parents, they had their schoolmates, they had the nuns, they had the priests. So, here's these girls dating these guys. And here was the line, about a month into the dating process, this is awful, the guys would go like this, I, uh, I've got something to tell you. What? I hear you're very troubled. Can I help? It's, uh, it's really awful. I, I, I guess I'd rather not say, oh, please, tell me, please. Well, okay, but this is going to be tough for me to say. Well, tell me, you, you can trust me. I, I think I have a terminal illness. Yes, it's awful. I told you it was awful. No, no. Yes, I, I'm going to die. Oh, no. Is there anything I can do? Now, is that low? 
I mean, the Protestant girls had been hit on from the time they were in junior high. They said, hit the road, scumbag. You know, I mean, they knew. <laughs> they knew. But here were these people who had been raised in this sheltered environment, you know, and it was like, wow. Well, that's what I'm talking about. If you don't know, if you're not watching what the culture is doing, you're off in la-la land. And you can't tell the difference between what is seeping into your life that could harm you and could make you vulnerable. I went to watch a little, little kid's football the other day, and it is so much fun to watch these, these little kids. I, I enjoy them more in college or more in pro and anything. And I sat there, because Isaac was in it, and Beck and I were supposed to do the concession stand and all that kind of stuff, so we were there five hours, and we watched a lot of games, uh, uh, waiting for Isaac to get to play. And, and uh, this, one, this one team was absolutely horrible absolutely the worst team I've ever seen in my life. Would have made the bad, looks, bad news bears just look wonderful. And they went out on the field, you know, these little shoulder pads flopping, you know, and little, little helmets going all around like this. And they went on the field, you know, and here's this other team. I mean, sharp, did their things right. And, and just the other team got the ball, scored a touchdown first time. Okay, so this team gets the ball on the 50. That's how you do it. You don't kick off on a jamboree. And uh, the other team pushes them back 20 yards. And so the other team gets the ball and scores a touchdown. Plays it back on the 50-yard line. This team then gets the ball, and after three downs, it is third down, literally, 62 yards to go. <laughs> now these cute little cheerleaders are all on the side, you know, little, little winkers like this, and they're going... They're not, they have no idea what's going on on the field. They haven't looked out on the field, and they're doing these cheers. Our offense is awesome. Our defense can't be beat. Come on, guys. You're real neat, you know? It's like... It's like ridiculous. Well, could I submit to you that's what the church looks like many times? They make these things about the world. You know, this is the way the world operates. Or this is the way Christians operate in the world. They haven't even looked. Haven't even looked. And they look stupid. They look like they're totally out of touch. Let me tell you something. It is so valuable for us to be able to stop and take stock of how our nation operates so that, number one, our message to them can be where they live. It can be relevant. It can be realistic. We can look and see what they're doing. And number two, we can look on what we've taken into our own lives. It's not just intellectual. It's character. God wants us to see in our own character. That's what that 2 Corinthians passage is. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Because you know what? After a while, if you're not aware, you become more and more like the world. That's how you hang out. That's how we all hang out. We hang out there and we begin to think that's the norm. This, we think, is not the norm. That's the norm out there. And so we start to become more and more like the norm. And we do it in little ways, seemingly harmless ways. 
But I want us to take a look at ourselves because we're the church. And I want us for the next 50 days to say how much of that has crept into my life. As painful and as uncomfortable as hopefully that will be, I want us to take a look at that. And it, it happens in little ways. I got a phone call this week by a brother who is in ministry, and, and we had been in ministry together, and um, I mean, we knew each other, and friends, you know? And he called me up, and he said, boy, you know, we haven't gotten together in a long time, and I'd just like to sit down here. God's doing wonderful things in North, and I want to hear about it, and I just, just, just sit down and just fellowship. And I thought, great. You know, I, I don't, you know, I'm not into I don't eat lunch with people very often. Uh, I'm not into the power lunch thing or whatever. I thought, boy, this is neat. We'll just get together and we'll just swap stories and I can see how his family's doing, how he's doing, all that kind of stuff. Go, I, we met at a restaurant, went in, and he laid a folder down by his place. Now, if you're going to fellowship with somebody, you don't have to take a folder, do you? And I knew, I knew, as, you know you can pick it up like that. I knew as soon as we sat down, that he had a proposition for me. I knew it. And you know what? It's a good one. And I'm going to recommend it to the elders. And please take what I say from here on out. Because it could be a, a, in a, taking a cutting way. I don't mean it to be. And I don't mean it from the standpoint of being stingy. I believe that the local church ought to mirror the image of a person who follows Christ. That's why we have that passage in Corinthians about the, the eyes and the nose and the feet and so on and so forth. And I believe just like an individual that a local church ought to give at least 10% of what it gets into other ministries. And I believe that as far as you can give, the, the, the greater percentage you can give of yourself away into those other ministries, the better off and healthier you're going to be Last year, we gave something like 13% to other ministries. This year, we're giving closer to 20% to other ministries. And I hope that increases. So please don't take what I'm about to say as a, a note of stinginess, because it's not in there. I want to support other ministries. I want for Northland to be broken and to pour itself out in avenues of ministry we can't touch in a local church. I want that. But doggone it, why couldn't he just have called up and said, look, i got a ministry, I want you to pray with me about this. Not try this old, we're friends, let's get together to fellowship. And oh, by the way, you see, that's the way of the world. When we're not honest with one another, when we can't be up front with one another, we're doing one of these just kind of <laughs> form a relationship for the purpose of business. That bothers me. That really bothers me. I, uh, I was uh, involved not too long ago in, uh, just a second, <clears throat> I'm getting real dry. I was involved some time ago, actually, <clears throat> in a committee to uh, help a major ministry organization make a determinative decision. 
And so I went there all ready to pray. Now, I, I admit, I am naive, and business is not my strong point, and I admit that up front, and you, you who know me know that. But I thought we would at least pray about this with an open mind and sit down and say, okay, let's examine the scriptures, let's examine what your prayer life is saying to you, let's examine what the, what the, uh, uh, what the Lord might be doing, you know, the doors he might be opening and all of that kind of stuff. When it came right down to it, that decision was made purely on the basis of financial profit. And that drove me up a wall. Now, I, I want to tell you that I, I know that all of that financial profit, this, this is a ministry of integrity, and all of that financial profit went into the Lord's work. And so it was, it was wonderful, and I want that organization to profit. And I contribute to that organization, and I love that. But I tell you what. When you make a decision on the basis of only whether or not your institution is going to profit, you're making it in the world's way. Because I don't see anywhere in the book where our agenda is to profit as an institution. I don't see that. As a matter of fact, I see just the opposite. I see that when you follow God, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. The way the world uses the word blessed and the way the scriptures use the term blessed are two different things the world gets something and says oh i've been blessed but jesus was never more blessed in his life than when he hung on the cross for us see it cost him and just to hear somebody say in an institution, in a ministry, you know, it might cost us everything we have, but I want to follow what God's saying. That's all. That's all. Because even people who are responsible for the welfare of an institution need to practice its ministry in a way that's self-sacrificing. And the church is missing that. The church is, you know, these elders we have here, we may make a lot of mistakes, but I have never heard them make a decision on the basis of financial profit. Never. And the few things that they do consider that have to do with finances are always, where can it benefit the most? How can we give up personally? what we need to give up so that someone else can prosper. That's a wonderful thing. All I'm saying is, if we have this mentality that the world has, if we let it slip into the way we operate, I got invited to a pastor's appreciation bank. Every, time, every, every year at this time, a major ministry organization sends out invitations for Free suppers to pastors' appreciation bank. Now, first of all, that's all we need is another big supper. You know, most of us are overweight and, you know, to sit around and eat. and That's great, wonderful. But here's what. You go to these things, this is what happens. They tell about their organization. And then they say, when can we come to your church? I will not go to a pastor's appreciation banquet. Because they're not for the purpose of appreciating pastors, although I'm sure they do. 
They are for the purpose of ministry presentation. The year that this organization sends me an invitation and says, this is to present our ministry to you so that we can come to your congregation and here are 10 bucks, send in the cash, I'll go. Because I want it straight up. I don't want for the world to creep into how we do business so that we can kind of be slick, you know? I know... Oh, gosh. Let me talk about Jim Baker for a minute. (laughs) I've never said anything about... Bless his heart. Pray for him. Pray for him. I think he's so mixed up, he can't even see straight. That, that, That breakdown was not put on. I've seen enough of those that I can tell you straight. The man is stressed out. But his defense pretty soon is going to go to a judge. And he's probably going to say this. He is going to say Jim was a wonderful person and he started out and he's doing all the right things for the right reasons. And I believe he was. And I believe every major huge ministry, that man started off with a sincere love of God and wanted to do for other people. I believe that. But as time went along, you know what they they start doing? They start comparing themselves to other major ministries. And then and then they compare themselves to the business world. Well, if I were a CEO in this kind of company, I'd be earning this kind of bucks. And you watch this defense. You watch if he doesn't go in and say, running a business of this sort, I mean, this kind of salary is not at all out of line. They missed the point, didn't they? Anytime... You compare yourself to anybody but Jesus Christ, you've missed the point. So we've got to watch out, don't we? Because it happens to us naturally. We've got to look to the world and then look at ourselves and say, how much of that has crept in? What are my real desires? Has the world crept into my real desires? How much is my method of operation the method of operation that profits and guarantees success rather than pours out its life in order to love? How much of that is there? Let me just share with you the upcoming sermon topics. And while I'm doing this, let me say to you, these booklets are on the back table. Two bucks, pick one up. Two bucks is what they cost us. <laughs> pick one up. We don't care whether you pay or not. But if you will go daily through these spiritual disciplines with us, then I believe you will be put out, you will be uncomfortable, but I believe you will grow spiritually. Let me, sh- let me just share with you what the preaching um, topics are. Next week, I'm going to be preaching on a craving for more and more. The week after, a preoccupation with self. The week after that, bondage to numerous fears. This is what we see in society. I wonder how much we see it in our own lives. The week after that, a callous disregard for life. You can probably guess what that's going to be about. The week after that, an entertainment addiction. 
The week after that, an obsession with physical gratification. Get here early, the church will be packed. Now I'm just... <laughs> the week after that, this is the last week, a create-your-own-God mentality. Now, we're going to make everyone uncomfortable during this time, I suspect. The sermons are going to be confessional. It's going to be very uncomfortable for me because during this time, I'm going to be seen, I'm going to be trying to test and examine my own ways to see what has been infected. But I would like you to invite and to invite you to participate in this. And just as a, just as a, for a moment of introductory discomfort, I'd like to open this mic up and have any of you who would come up and tell us, share with us, just something that you have seen in the culture that you are beginning to see in your own life and it's really bothering you. Now let me tell you what I don't want. I didn't explain this well enough. Last service, because what we had were people got up and said, I'll tell you what bugs me about this culture. <laughs> nah, don't you're not getting off that easy. It's got to be here. It's got to be a temptation that you've seen. It's got to be something that you hope that you can correct with God's help and with God's guidance. Got to be something in your life, maybe your children's life, but not to stick to yours. That's, that makes it the hardest. In your life that you just want to get rid of, would anybody have the courage? Okay, come on up. Just a couple of minutes, and then after he gets done, somebody else can come up, and I'll cut us off five minutes from now. Okay? I'll just sit right here. <laughs> 